Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome back to Sports Medcast, brought to you by the American Medical Society of Sports Medicine. This is your host for the night, Chris Hicks. I'm a primary care sports medicine fellow at the University of Virginia, Go Wahoos. What a great podcast topic we have scheduled for you all tonight. There seems to be a different diet that gains steam in the mainstream media almost every year. Some good and some not so good. Well, tonight we'll be discussing another one of those trending diets, the infamous ketogenic diet. But first, let's meet our illustrious guest on tonight's podcast. First, we have Dr. John D. Fiore, legend in our field. He is the Chief of Primary Care Sports Medicine at the Hospital of Special Services, Director of Sports Medicine for the National Basketball Association, and former President of AMSSM. How are you doing, Dr. John D. Fiore? It's great to be here, and I'm glad to be on the call with you and discussing uh, this very uh, popular diet right now. I'm glad to be on with my colleague, who I know you're going to introduce in just a moment, uh, John Devine. And definitely not to be outdone, we, uh, like Dr. D.C. already said, we have Dr. John Devine. He's another titan in our field. He is professor at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine, director of primary care sports medicine with the Department of Orthopedic Surgery, and team physician for the University of Cincinnati Athletics, and also former president of AMSSM. Well, that was a mouthful, huh, Dr. Devine? Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> glad to be here as well. And All right, guys. Uh, it's a great pleasure and honor to have both of you with us tonight. And so we'll kind of get started and we'll kind of jump into the first question of the night. So, uh, again, we'll be discussing this trending diet, the ketogenic diet, and we'll be actually discussing it as it pertains to our athletes and our athletic performance in particular. I personally have a bunch of friends and associates who swear by this diet, and I'll admit I've even picked up a few pounds since starting fellowship, and I've considered it myself. But uh, Dr. D. Fiore, kind of tell me what exactly is the ketogenic diet? Well, the ketogenic diet uh, sort of classically uh, is a diet that attempts to basically induce the production of ketones. So Ketones are typically produced in starvation states where you're trying to conserve or really spare carbohydrates. And ketones, you know, in, in the starvation state, the most important organ systems are, are trying to maintain their function, particularly neurologic function, brain function. So mm-hmm. when you're in a ketotic state, in a starvation state, the ketones are utilized to maintain brain function. And they're not well metabolized by the brain. Um, but they're an alternative fuel source. And so this diet is a very low-carbohydrate diet because it's trying to mimic the starvation state in order to have the liver uh, split off into producing ketones. So, so that's kind of the, I think, sort of what we all learned in medical school about ketone production. Mm-hmm. And so this, this diet is really trying to utilize fats um, that are typically um, going to produce ketones when you're sort of not utilizing carbohydrates. Gotcha, gotcha. That's interesting, but hold on. You mean to tell me that I can eat high amounts of fat and still burn more fat in the process? Sounds like something I could buy into. Uh, but given that information, what specifically is the typical breakdown of fats, proteins, and carbs? Well, you know, what happens when diets become popularized by the, you know, lay public and the media, 
and various marketing schemes. The term, you know, mm-hmm. keto diet can, can mean any number of different things. But in general, you're looking at a high percentage of fat. And so we're talking, you know, in the range of 75 to 80% fat sources for, for the diet. Now, it could be animal fat or it could be, you know, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, it could be animal fat or it could be fats from vegetable sources. And that's, that's something important to consider. But essentially, you're talking about a diet that's about 75 to 80% fat. And usually around 20% protein with the rest being carbohydrates. So you're only talking about 5% at most 10%, depending on the combination of carbohydrate. Wow. Okay. That is a lot of fat. But I'll I'll Uh, tell you though, I think, I think you'll mm -hmm. see, you'll see variations on that because, you know, I don't know if you ever really tried this, but after a while, it's not particularly palatable. Yeah. So you'll see, you'll see variations on this with the, percentage of fats has decreased down to like 60%, which makes a big difference okay. in terms of being able to sustain it. But then you lose sort of a little bit of the physiologic basis for, for the diet. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can imagine 80% of fat um, in one diet is a lot. So I, you know, I can imagine that, that getting to be a lot after a few weeks of being on the diet. So this is a question for you, Dr. Devine. Given all this fat that we're talking about, I mean, 80% is a lot. Is that, is that going to worsen my overall health? You know, I don't know. I mean, a diet of, you know, 80% bacon, I mean, who's going to argue that, you know? I mean, bacon's good on everything. I mean, you know, you can eat it even that, infused vodka. Is that what you're – is that what you're feeding us football players at Cincinnati? 80% we, bacon? Yeah, we, we try bacon, you know, we try – you know, other 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 secret in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, we haven't put it in the graters yet. That's true. We haven't done that yet. But yeah, we do put it on the chili and all that other stuff. Yeah. So, so no, I do I do kind of worry about that. I mean, I grew up in an era where you know we thought fat was bad and carbohydrate loading was good, and so mm-hmm. this is still kind of kind of catching me a little bit by surprise. So I I worry about that amount of fat in somebody's diet, although some of the current evidence does, you know, look somewhat supportive, especially in new onset adult diabetics uh, and and Mm -hmm. people, you know, with insulin resistance and and that type of thing is, it it does seem to show some good numbers. Where it doesn't show that though, I think is is some of the, the data that looks just at the lipid breakdown. I mean, I think you know, HDL changes are hard to come by even with exercise, and, and mm-hmm. I don't think you can see much evidence that shows that the, a keto diet is going to help that. And then there's mm-hmm. just no way you're not going to increase your total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, probably VLDL cholesterol, yeah. if that's still even measured. So, I mean, I, I think that's still going to rise and, and still present some risk for heart disease that we know has, you know, been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that completely makes sense. And um, I agree that literature doesn't doesn't give give us much more than that. So um, good to know that. D- now during you know during kind of your research or lit review, Dr. Devine, did you um, note any you know kind of in the same lines of the last question? Were there any adverse effects that you noticed uh, from this diet outside of the higher levels of cholesterol and LDL? Yeah, I mean anybody that's tried this diet, and you know um, I, I've tried it once or twice. You get that that kind of weird, I guess ketone flu. I guess it's called now. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and some of the popular uh, descriptions of the diet. And so you do tend to to feel almost like you're on a you know a craze looking for sugar. And anybody anybody too mm-hmm. that's been has ever bonked on a on a long run or a bike ride, they're going to feel pretty tired. They're going to feel pretty lousy. It's that initial feeling of of uh, just not you know changing the diet around, changing that I guess the the biochemistry around of of making uh, fat your more or ketones your more or fat I guess basically your more preferred fuel mm-hmm. system for your brain and your body shift over to that and that transition. And people that do this mm-hmm. swear by it that they once yeah. they get used to it they feel better and you know it's all anecdotal I think in some ways but I think you know in mm-hmm. some of the you know, the, some of the training studies that have come out, I mean, it looks, you know, it, it does seem to have some some promise. Uh, question for you, Dr. DeFior. You know, we're sports medicine doctors, and, uh, you know, we really uh, look out for our athletes, both, you know, our elite athletes in our Division One colleges and pros, but also, you know, the weekend warriors. My question to you is, does the ketogenic diet, does the – the literature and the data show anything about it making our athletes faster, stronger, or able to run longer? Yeah, so I, I think this, these are good questions because, you know, we're talking in a sense about two completely different goals. I mean, one mm-hmm. is, one goal that we've been talking about is weight loss and a mm-hmm. healthy way to achieve weight loss that's sustainable, which uh, as I think all of us know as physicians for our patients and for those of us, you know, all of us, you know, achieving, you know, uh, healthy, sustained, you know, manageable weight is, is really important, but it's difficult. And, you know, mm-hmm. whenever you you embark upon a new effort, there's there's a new focus and, and there's a new, a detailed approach to what you're doing. And it's I think mm-hmm. it's hard to differentiate, you know, sort of what in in sports medicine literature would be called like a training effect. You know, this is a training effect. I'm embarking upon a new diet. Well, if you're mm-hmm. restricting calories, you're you're going to lose weight, you know, yeah. and and yeah. I think that stood the test of time. And so you can look back on all the different diets that have been proposed: the Zone Diet, the South Beach Diet, the Mediterranean Diet. Now you got the Keto Diet, and mm-hmm. you know you don't hear too much over time about these things that have come up and, and been you know touted for a while, and then you know go by the wayside because it's very hard to maintain weight loss. It's not hard to achieve some weight loss initially uh, if you're focused on it. So so from that standpoint, I, I think we have to be careful, especially with our patients who are trying to achieve weight loss, that there are downsides to this, as John Devine mentioned, about you know increasing LDL levels. And, and that's usually mm-hmm. something we try to avoid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the study that uh, Walter Ouellette was a senior author on, who's you know, been publishing for many years on various aspects of you know, nutrition and health, mm-hmm. you know, that study was, was not, you know, it was randomized in a sense, but it was not really well controlled mm-hmm. and it didn't account for a lot of things uh, that can affect uh, mortality, morbidity, but nonetheless, they did show a significant increase in, 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 in those cardiac risk factors in terms of the lipid profile. That being said, mm-hmm. the athlete side of it's a completely different question. You're asking about, can we improve performance? And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you think about back in your med school days about exercise physiology and, and, and particularly with respect to training of athletes, athletes' training should be specific to their competitive needs. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've 
probably heard the term, it's called the SAID principle, S-A-I-D, which stands for Specific Adaptation to Impose Demand, which tells you that you can be a great cyclist, an endurance cyclist, but get off the bike and go in the water and start swimming, and that all those gains you've made in endurance don't seem to translate into the water. Vice versa, sure. if you're a swimmer and you go out and you're an endurance swimmer and you start running uh, long distances, you know, it doesn't translate. You don't have the same carryover, and that's because the utilization uh, and the uptake of oxygen at the, at the muscle level is dependent upon which muscles are being utilized. And so the same thing goes for substrate utilization. So carbohydrates, fats, uh, and proteins mm-hmm. are substrates. They're, they're substrates that are being utilized to you know, generate ATP, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in an endurance event, you need to learn how to metabolize your substrates to spare glycogen. Because you right. want to preserve your glycogen stores for the duration of that long activity. If you're in a power event like you know Olympic-style weightlifting, you need power, you need high-velocity movement. And so mm-hmm. that, for that, you need to have high-carbohydrate stores readily available for those explosive mo- movements. So if you're talking about high-intensity sports, you need to have carbohydrate. And I think that's what the data is showing us is that when you look at highly trained athletes and you put them on this diet, certain parameters that you can measure seem to suggest, well, this might be working. But then when they go and they perform, you see a, a decrement in their performance compared to what they would have with you know, a typical ratio of you know, 60% carbohydrate. Now, there's some different nuances there in terms of timing and the amounts because it is sport-specific to an extent. But the key factors in terms of diet are going to be the, the um, duration of the event and the intensity of the event. And those two things are the, really what drives training and, and diet and performance. I, I would agree 100%. But to take the counter argument then on this then would be, and I agree that as, especially as an endurance athlete, you want to be in a state where you're doing as much glycogen sparing as you can. And so the argument would be that if you, if this really does flip the switch towards more fat metabolism, and if you have that fat to spare for fat metabolism, then you're going to spare more glycogen in the muscle for when you really need it. And so if you are following this, potentially you could train at a higher level with more glycogen on board, so that might improve your performance over a a long period, definitely not over a short period of time. John's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And then the other Mm -hmm. thing I think it does is it it improves if you you are losing weight as an endurance athlete, you are definitely going to improve your motor efficiency. I mean, your your power Mm -hmm. output is going to be, it would have to be more efficient because you're moving at a faster rate putting out more watts mm-hmm. than what you did at a higher at a higher weight before. And so the training effect could potentially be there if it, we really do flip this metabolism like a lot of the uh, proponents say we do. You know, I think, I think that argument is a good argument, John, but the data doesn't support it. And in fact, that's exactly the rationale. But when it was studied, that, that the, the recent study where they looked at, you know, elite sort of highly trained athletes, um, mm-hmm. And basically, what they found was that, yeah, you, you know, you have this idea. Well, maybe you're going to spare glycogen, 
and, and be, but what they found out was that the running economy actually diminished. So even though they mm-hmm. got a benefit from their training in terms of VO2 max and everything, the ones that were on the higher fat diet didn't perform as well. And I think, I think mm-hmm. you know, if you, you look at um, highly trained athletes, they, their substrate utilization does, through training, spare glycogen during an event. And so that's a training effect. But I think what's happening mm-hmm. is it's so extreme when you don't have enough you don't have enough carbohydrate available to get the benefit. But I think what's happening is that there's too too much of an extreme source. There's too high of a level of fat available, not enough carbohydrate available to get that effect that you get through training, which is preferentially sparing glycogen and then utilizing it at extreme high intensity. So it's interesting that the theory that you mentioned doesn't seem to be borne out in, in that really one well done you know, training study. And I think it's mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's because you don't have enough glycogen available to generate true oxygen enhancement of oxygen delivery to the working muscle, and so the running economy is not as good. And so then, of course, you begin to try to utilize glycogen stores that you don't really have. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you've got to you've got to get to that level, and you've got to. You know, we think about training efficiency and training at, you know, the highest relative percentage of uh, your anaerobic threshold, if you will, uh, where you're going to be producing lactate as well. And it may be that you're exactly right, is that we don't have those glycogen stores enough to get that up to that level where we're, we can train at a higher level where we're putting out too much lactate early on in the relative intensity of what we're training at, you know, we're not going to be as training as efficiently as efficiently and the performance is going to slide down. You're, you're right. And so yeah, no, it, I, think, it, yeah, I think you hit it there. You've got to, you've got to see the data. Yeah, I agree. You've got to see, you've got to see the data. And, you know, I would, I would be really curious to see, you know, cause it seemed to me that a lot of the, that some of the training studies have been looking more, at uh, not just endurance athletes, but power athletes. And, and I just, I can't see it. I, I really can't. John's really, I think, right about that. I think what these studies are, are showing us so far is that you, it's harder to maintain that sub-maximal level where you're just below your lactate mm-hmm. threshold. I think this diet somehow interferes with that. Yeah, yeah that's, a good, that's, that's a better term, that sub-maximal and, and we try to train our athletes at the highest relative percentage of that sub-max work before they tip over into producing mm-hmm. too much lactate. And if you can't train, say, at 300 watts like you need to for an X amount of time because your diet's not right, then you're just not going to be as efficient going, uh, you know, going into a competitive event. And so I worry about that. The other thing I worry about is this whole palatability thing, and, and can you really sustain this for longer than the 10 weeks at some of the training studies we've seen? You know, and what happens yeah. when you do go back to the, the Western diet? You know, does your metabolism go, you know, really radical in the other direction? And so mm-hmm. uh, I, I'd be a little concerned about that too. One thing I did want to mention I think is important. It's a little bit of a um, deviation from what we're talking about. You know, a lot of us may know that, the ketogenic diet was found to be helpful in children with refractory seizures. Um, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah, good point. It, yeah, so, it, you know, 
the interesting thing about it, again, it gets into that sort of discussion we had early on about utilization of ketones to preserve brain function. And it, there have been a few studies, uh, actually by some former colleagues of mine uh, at the Brain Research Institute at UCLA, uh, which looked at using a ketogenic diet after you know, traumatic brain injury. And there's some interesting studies mm-hmm. there where those diets spared mitochondrial, certain types of mitochondria, to preserve mm-hmm. energy stores so that uh, as the brain recovered in that sort of low energy state, the ketones were, were preferentially utilized through a supplement now, through a supplement as the brain recovered. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's been some interest in looking at that, for example, in, in folks with concussion. These studies were done in more, more severe brain trauma. But that, it's just another, uh, I think, if you hear ketone diet in sports medicine, you know, it's something you may hear about, and it's, it's, uh, there's some ongoing research there. I, I got one more question for you before um, we go ahead and wrap up tonight. Is Say you got a patient, a uh, 32-year-old uh, male or female runner who comes in, they, they plan on running a few marathons this fall, and they ask you about the ketogenic diet. What's you guys' final take on, on advice for your athletes? Yeah, don't do it. I mean, okay. I, I had this discussion. I had this discussion today with uh, with one of our female runners, and really going over her diet intensively. And I mean, her body fat now is down so low because of her training load that mm-hmm. I, I I told her I said I don't know how you can do much, you know, fat utilization because you don't have any. I mean, every bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, of mileage you're going to put in is going to be coming off your muscle glycogen. And so my advice would be if this is a trained, well-trained runner, what's gotten you to this point is going to get you there to the finish line. It's not going to get you up to a Boston or an elite level. And, and, and my advice would say, eh, wait for the next fad to come along and let's look at that. Anything else to add? I, I think, I think um, that a highly trained athlete who's, who's trying to, basically perform at an extremely high intensity level. Right now, the studies that are available in athletes show that the ketone diet is counterproductive. And, and mm-hmm. you know, so that's, you know, from a scientific point, from a performance standpoint, the data right now just doesn't support it. And that's probably what I agree with John 100%. Emphasize training, emphasize proper balance of nutrition, proper calorie intake. Because they're training, mm-hmm. especially what John was referring to, his his distance running athlete. Her body's already trained to sure. spare glycogen and utilize fatty acids. And anything, I think, like that would, would simply decrease her efficiency in terms of, you know, working efficiently for a long-distance run. Well, guys, I got to say I learned a lot tonight and had a lot of fun doing it. Thank you so much, right, guys. It was a lot of fun. Awesome time tonight. Uh, That's all the time we have uh, for tonight, but hopefully you guys join us on our next topic uh, on Sports Medcast brought to you by the AMSSF. Everybody have a good night. The views expressed are those of the speakers alone and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the AMSSM, the Hospital for Special Surgery, the University of Cincinnati, or the University of Virginia.